0: Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843 664 8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once in all and forever 843-664-8989 HeritageDigital.com Rock and roll It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks On the Inside the Gamecocks podcast Here's J.C. Sherwood. Inside the Game Guys podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It is Thursday, March 3rd. Hope all of you guys are doing well. Going to have a quicker episode today, shorter episode today, and I'll be back with you tomorrow uh, with some more mailbag questions, analysis, uh, things like that. We'll talk a lot about Clemson-South Carolina baseball and that rivalry that gets underway tomorrow night at Founders Park. Talk a little more football, all that good stuff, but uh, going to go quickly today. Uh, and then, uh, two for the price of one. How about that? Uh, in terms of the, uh, podcast here on the inside of the Gamecocks, thanks to heritage digital as always for sponsoring the first segment of the show, bad news. <laughs> uh, speaking of baseball, right off the top, uh, James Hicks, as it was confirmed today from Mark Kingston, John Whittle of the big has been all over this. If you love Carolina baseball, join the big spur VIP, membership will only cost you a buck to join right now. Uh, and if you go ahead and pay full price, you get Paramount Plus with it too. That's quite a deal. Um, and you have to pay full price. You can't get Paramount Plus for a dollar, but uh, that's for the first month. And then we'll charge you, what, 10 bucks a month. And you, you get Paramount Plus with it too. So, anyway, James Hicks needs Tommy Johns. Will Sanders to be determined and then to be determined this weekend for the pitching lineup against the Tigers. So, a big blow. For the Gamecocks pitching staff, which was already thin. We've got Bosnick sidelined. Uh, just kind of a mess right now uh, in terms of the pitching for this team. And it's unfortunate because I-, I think they've made some steps in the right direction as far as their defense and hitting goes, at least by the first eight games or so. Clemson's 8 0, Gamecocks 7 1. Uh, we'll kind of break all that down uh, for you tomorrow. Uh, but that's the news there. Um, just wanted to say this, and this is interesting in a certain way. Tina Thompson, uh, who is the head women's basketball coach at Virginia, has been fired. Uh, of course, I think that's going to lead to some speculation on the part of the Who's uh, trying to maybe go after Dawn Staley. And, you know, y- you never say never. Dawn Staley's in the middle of a championship chase right now, the SEC tournament. Then, of course, the big dance. Uh, here's why I don't think anybody needs to worry. And, uh, and, and this is just, you know, I'm not a women's basketball person. I don't know Dawn Staley's mind. I know that she has a hell of a contract money-wise. Uh, and if you have to, if you have to go and, and pay her that, if you're Virginia, I mean, shoot, I think she'd probably be making more than Tony Elliott uh, up there or Tony Bennett at UVA uh, if she decided to go back to her alma mater. That's probably the only thing. I think that would be intriguing is that it is her alma mater. And I want you guys to think about this. Uh, if you're not a hardcore women's basketball fan and you just definitely want, but you definitely want Dawn Staley to stick around, um, there's a point of pride, you know. Uh, she's created basically what Tennessee was under Pat Summit. Um, the Lady Vols used to get 20,000 plus, Game guys get 15 to 17. Uh, they travel. That fan base is, is sort of unique. It, it's not really like the baseball or football or men's basketball fan base. Uh, there's some people that do all of the above, but it's uh, it's different, and she's created that at South Carolina. South Carolina's paying her well. It's in the SEC. She has an 18,000-seat arena right now. Um, would she use it for more leverage? Possibly. And at that point, I don't know that uh, – I I don't I don't know what South Carolina would do. I mean, I don't think Virginia is in any kind of shape cuz keep in mind the ACC schools are sort of locked into their TV deal for gosh, they signed a 16-year deal for football and it's the ACC network is not brought, you know, and money-wise they're not that far behind right now. But the SEC contracts up, the Big 10 contracts up. Uh, they're surrounded by, the, the, you know, the Big Ten up there with Maryland and Penn State, and, you know, I I just don't see them being able to financially make it happen to bring Dawn Staley home. I think it would be unprecedented. Now, look, I'll be honest, uh, that athletics department may do some unprecedented things, but Tina Thompson's out right now. Uh, the only reason I mention it is because it is – Don Staley's alma mater, but she would be walking away from a whole lot of money and a whole lot of something that she personally built. And and I think that's hard. <clears throat> For the same reason that, you know, and it wasn't about money with Bobby Crimmins, but, you know, he had some second thoughts, went back to Georgia Tech in the 90s. Some of you may not even remember that. Uh, but uh, long story short, Mike McGee hired Bobby Crimmins. He was introduced uh, as the Gamecocks basketball coach. Of course, he's a Carolina alum. He had, you know, been in the Final Four at Georgia Tech two or three years before. They were a Sweet 16 team, I think, when they hired him. Um, got there. Three days later, turned around, went back. Eddie Fogler ended up getting the job. But, uh, yeah, so that, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, the re- one of the reasons was, and he had personal reasons, too, was that, you know, Georgia Tech basketball was like 4-23 and 23 and had just gone into the toughest conference in America when he got there, and he built it. He built it, and and so whereas the draw of home is always there, you know, it's hard sometimes when you've built something and and it's yours. I mean, you know, you you don't think about Pam Parsons or Susan Wavius when you think about Gamecock women's basketball. You think about Dawn Staley. I mean, it's been unprecedented what she's done, and she's built the best, the, the premier program in the SEC. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, Kim Mulkey at LSU is going to do her thing. And at some point, Tennessee will be back. And, you know, you have the Missouri rivalry, I guess. And, you know, there are a lot of good women's basketball jobs in the league. But I'm going to be honest, uh, you know, it's uh, what she's done at Carolina is unbelievable. And there's no signs of it slowing down. So that's the only reason I mentioned that right now. And I'm, I kind of think it's crazy that, you know, I'm I'm trying to kind of watch my time here on on this podcast and talked about women's basketball but I thought you know wow you know when when that news breaks people start discussing it on social media or whatever you know because that's her alma mater and they've already tried uh, previously Uh, I I think that 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 may cause some discussion but I I wanted to just go ahead and mention that off the top Gamecocks Batman uh, closed out I don't know if it'll be the final game at the Colonial Life Arena for this bunch or not, because the NIT is still out there, obviously. Uh, but close to that with a win, sort of lackluster uh, in spurts, especially toward the end. They just couldn't seem to put Missouri away, but a win's a win. And the Gamecocks, once again, will have a non-losing season in the Southeastern Conference, which is, you know, pretty good, pretty good. We're going to get into all that here in a second, too. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of the news and notes today <laughs> in terms of um, South Carolina athletics uh, and all that good stuff. I think since I last talked to you, the Gamecocks did win a uh, baseball game to beat App State in Charlotte 9-6 to on Tuesday night. All right, so now <laughs> it's time for the analysis segment of our show, and it's always brought to you by Cindy Searfoss from Coldwell Banker King, my hometown of Spartanburg. Uh, she's married to a diehard game fan. She's been in the upstate for more than 35 years and would love to help you out with your real estate needs. You can contact her at 864-414-5271 or email her at C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at c b c a i n e dot com. right there. Daniel Morgan Avenue in my hometown. That's where Cindy has her office, but she's out and about showing properties. She can get your property sold. So you can definitely help you find a new property. Real estate market's crazy. It's definitely a seller's market right now. I will warn you, oh, man. I shoot, uh, people are talking about prices going up. I priced a car the other day. I'm kind of in the market for a new car, and man, oh man, some of these prices. <laughs> uh, same thing with houses. A buddy of mine just uh, sold his in Spartanburg County. Uh, he'd only been in it two years. He's clearing about 125 grand. So. You know, financially, uh, if you want to sell and you're in the upstate, give Cindy a call once again, 864-414-5271. A proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Please tell her that I sent you uh, because uh, <clears throat> that's important for her and for me. I always want to make sure all my sponsors get their money's worth. All right. Uh, so going to switch gears a bit. Going to talk a little football and men's basketball here in analysis. And – um I want to start off with uh, football? Uh, I, I thought, uh, as we all know, or as you know, I think five of the seven transfers uh, met with the media or the portal guys. I guess uh, the ones missing, obviously, Stogner is not there yet, and Christian Bill Smith had a conflict or just declined to be interviewed or whatever. And so uh, uh, you heard from five of them. I thought all were impressive. Uh, you know, as you expect from. Players that have kind of been in it for a while. A guy like Spencer Rattler certainly knows how to talk to the media. But, you know, a guy like Devontae Reed, who's been at Central Michigan, where they probably don't have a lot of media, he, he was impressive. Antoine Wells. Uh, Terrell Dawkins was awesome. Uh, all these guys were pretty awesome, uh, I thought. Uh, and my biggest takeaway from that is this. You know, people talk, you know, and when South Carolina was struggling on offense, you know, People get out for blood, you know, Marcus Satterfield or whatever. That's a different topic. And you guys kind of know that I was critical as well. And I pray things work out and that maybe I was overly critical and all that. But, you know, there were some games the Gamecocks didn't show up. People were upset. And people just started kind of going, I guess, you know, tongue in cheek. all this culture and stuff doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. And you're right and wrong. <laughs> uh you're right in the sense that if you establish a culture and, and and it you don't win, you know, it it falls on deaf ears after a while, never in your first year. Uh culture is not something that I, I think fans necessarily understand or want to embrace. Uh, you know, the culture from the fan base comes with wins, losses, great moments, memories, that kind of thing. That's why that's why that's why you're a fan, I mean, because it's entertainment. Uh, it's passion. It means something. Uh, but it means something to a certain extent with, well, I get a lot of, you know, joy out of watching my team perform well and win. And when they're not, people get upset and that's fine. Please don't stop that. I'm not, uh, because without passion, you don't have a fan base. Uh, and without expectations, you don't have a fan base. And so, uh, I'm not, you know, being critical of anybody being critical here during the season. I mean, it ended up pretty good, but there were some moments there. So uh, I'll say this, uh, you know, the people that kind of attacked the culture aspect of it were very, very misguided um, because it's something that I, I think that unless you're in the building, you don't understand. Uh, but I'm going to break it down to you and tell you in ta- tangibly what you can take from this and understand it, every single one of those guys yesterday mentioned the coaches here are genuine, the coaches here are real, the coaches here care about ball. Uh, Devani Reed mentions it's hard to turn a program around in this league in one year, which Shane Beamer did. Um, you know, Beamer, w- without question, <laughs> was a big factor in every one of these guys, uh, along with the assistant coaches. Spencer Rattler said it. You know, he, he talked about how he has a lot of faith in Shane. And, chain. Uh, and, 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 and I, you don't get that. And I know Rattler committed without visiting, but he had an extensive, extensive virtual visit and, and talked in depth with all the coaches and all that. You, you don't get that. And you don't get guys coming from Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, you know, like, like Spencer Rattler – Yeah, what happened to him, he'd probably still be at Oklahoma had he remained the starter or in the NFL. You know, that was a situation where he it was time to go, like he said. Uh, Austin Stogner probably was ready for a fresh start, but was playing and would have played a bunch this year. Uh, Lavoisier Carroll coming from Georgia, he's just a freshman. I mean, although he was at corner, you know, he he definitely factored into their plans. Long-term Terrell Dawkins – Sort of had a, you know, an issue with how he was being used at North Carolina State. But they certainly didn't want him to leave. Christian Bill Smith, who did not talk the same way to Bonnie. I mean, these guys didn't have to leave, Antoine. They didn't have to leave. You know, and a lot of them had a lot of options. A lot of options, you know, leaving the school they were at. Um, and and, and so you don't land guys like that and have, you know, experienced players who have been elsewhere come in and say, hey, this, you know, this is where, this is what makes this place special, unique, different. Uh, and you got to be different at South Carolina. You can't, I said that during the Muschamp era. I think one of the things uh or one of the problems that you have sometimes with the Nick Saban coaching tree is that. Nick Saban does not take bad jobs. <laughs> you know, I mean, Michigan State was the, the or really Toledo was the, the lower level job, but Toledo is a good job uh, at the MAC level. Obviously, it's probably, probably the best job in the MAC, I would think. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but Nick Saban takes LSU. He knew what kind of a gold mine that was. And then he bounces back at Alabama, which is traditionally one of the best programs in the country. You know, maybe that doesn't apply at a South Carolina, or that kind of process doesn't apply. We, we know what Kirby Smart can, is doing at Georgia. Um, we know what Jimbo Fisher does at AM, and m although it's been 20 years since he's been an assistant under Saban, so things have different. But we saw Will Muschamp at Florida and Carolina. We saw Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, Derek Dooley at Tennessee. You know, those aren't South Carolina and Tennessee aren't bad programs. Uh, but maybe it just doesn't work everywhere. Maybe, And I think South Carolina in particular, it's a unique place. You have to embrace the uniqueness and be even more unique. Uh, And if you think about the times this program has been successful, you know, and you can say, well, Spurrier and Holtz were established elsewhere and came in and won. Yeah, but Spurrier and Holtz are unique. You know, Lou Holtz is one of the most unique coaches uh, to ever walk the sidelines. And and when he started winning was it when he started being innovative on both sides of the ball. Yeah, he ran a 3-3-5 defense when it wasn't in vogue uh, with Charlie Strong. And then when they turned it around in 2000, Skip Holtz unleashed his spread attack. They didn't run the Notre Dame attack that Lou used to run like they did in 99. Steve Spurrier, obviously, very different type of coach, very creative and all that. You know, Will Muschamp uh, tried to be a little different. Uh, but I, I just don't know that, that that's where he's he, – he's cut out to do that. I mean, you look at his assistant coach – actually, everywhere he had coached since breaking into coaching at LSU, LSU, Miami Dolphins, Auburn, uh, Texas, you know, Florida, back to Auburn. I mean, those schools are right there with that, all the blue bloods, right? And at Georgia, you know, I think mean, Will have done an excellent job since being back at his alma mater. But those places are fundamentally different. You know, Kirby Smart uh, can walk into a Georgia type of situation and apply what he's learned and tweak it maybe a little, and away we go. Um, but South Carolina's different, and, and I think that Beamer understands that. I mean, Beamer's a guy that has been at Oklahoma and Georgia – but he's also been at a Mississippi state. He's been at Virginia tech. He's been at Carolina previously, you know, so he gets it and it's unique and the culture that he's building at South Carolina. And that's a buzzword that gets thrown around. <laughs> I understand that. Um, some jerk off uh, columnist, I think maybe Chicago Tribune, maybe New York times mentioned that that was a meathead term. It's not. Uh, it's just hard to explain uh, unless you've kind of been uh, in the building or in the program or whatever. And and I think all of us, fans, analysts, uh, jerk-off writers, (laughs) struggle to define it. What does that mean? Because we're we're looking at things in terms of performance, wins and losses, how are you recruiting, all that good stuff. If you look at those press conferences and you hear those guys talking, Alexa, I'm in the middle of a – point um you hear what i'm having alexa off off all right sorry about that guys boy on the day i'm trying to hurry through right and i'm I'm not trying to hurry that much uh if you listen to those guys talk at the press conference folks you understand you you can kind of get a glimpse of what that is and not only what that is okay because Again, I think even with that, you struggle to kind of define it in a sentence or less. What it can do for your program, okay? Uh, these guys are, you know, and I, I don't know, I, you know how how many balls Antoine Wells will catch, how many sacks Terrell Dawkins will have, how many yards uh, Bill Smith didn't talk, so we won't mention him. I mean, Carroll will rush for if you even play a whole lot this year, um, you know, how many tackles and interceptions will Reed have? I, I don't know. Uh, will Devontae Reed get beat on a pass? I mean, I don't. I don't know. Will, will Spencer Rattler get sacked? I not, that's, that, that. That really is different than what I'm saying. Um, but all these guys are talented. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about an impact recruiting class, uh, and I think the high school version of, of this class is probably. A lot of these guys are a year away, uh, and there's no question about it. Um, but I look at the portal additions, and, man, oh, man, I mean, that's like signing seven, four- or five-star guys uh, in, in a class. Uh, and not only that, the, the beauty of it is these are veteran guys, uh, and you don't have to wait for them to develop in a lot of ways. You know, some you, some, some you will, some you won't. And there'll be adjustments, you know, wells coming from James Madison or whatever, but, uh, But he's a freaky player, you know. Uh, And I'll remind everybody, South Carolina, uh, and if you look at the top six transfer portal class ratings, uh, according to 24-7 Sports, South Carolina's number five. Of the top six, Ole Miss and Southern Cal have 13 each, LSU has 13, Oklahoma 10, South Carolina 7, Florida State 10. So they're the only ones in the top six in single digits. Now, Arkansas, six, Texas, four, TCU, nine, Michigan State. Here we go again. Seven for those guys. But, man, you know, a a very impressive group with the media. Um, You know, there's a lot of guys that can't play dead in a movie that are good with the media. But if you kind of dig into what they're saying uh, and listen to their words and kind of get the vibe from them, they're all business you know, our guys are about business, right? Uh, and they all, you know, spoke to the culture. And and if South Carolina brings in seven guys a year uh, that are this good uh, from the portal, and I don't know if that number will be seven all the time, um, they're going to some football games. I mean, because this is talent. I mean, this is serious, proven talent. Um I always say there's, you know, more than one way to to get it done uh, in recruiting, especially. And you know, I, I think that during the Must Champ era, we sort of realized that you can recruit well and recruit in the top twenty, but sometimes it's not it's not good enough, especially when cer- certain positions like like I, I think this, the previous staff missed a lot. At, in, some of it was because of injury, but some of it wasn't. You know, safety and linebacker and receiver. You know, I think they missed a bunch there. And then the quarterback situation, I don't – I think they recruited pretty well at quarterback. I I think with that position, though, a lot of schools will end up uh, in a bind. Oklahoma is an example of that. I mean, the Sooners have to be saying thank God for Dylan Gabriel uh, because <laughs> Rattler and Caleb Williams walked out the door. Uh, and Oklahoma, you, you wouldn't think they would have issues with quarterbacks. You know, they're they're kind of a – quarterback you, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that's a different story there. I didn't think the previous staff recruited poorly at quarterback at all. However, you know, I, I think we learned that, that, it, that making strong evaluations are good and they can get you good players. You know, the DJ Wantums of the world. Uh, that's, uh, you know, development. Uh, we'll go with Javon Kinlaw, <laughs> you know, uh, those guys. You know, T.J. Brunson got drafted. Ern- Ernest Jones. But you can't really rely on just that, uh, I think, (laughs) to make a move. Now, uh, does that mean that, you know, South Carolina talent-wise was a four-win team in 2019? No. Does that mean the 2-8 and team with all SEC schedule should have performed as poorly as it did on defense? No, that does not. That's a different category. Um, And and, and this program, quite frankly, recruiting just like Will Moschamp did, and his staff, and, and look, he didn't have the portal now, you know, because this class, high school-wise, uh, it's pretty similar to the ones must Jump signed. Um, but I, I think that showed you that, yeah, you can get to bowl games most years and uh, have winning seasons and win your shared games and every now and then surprise somebody. But how are you going to get, like, on the level of your rivals, you know, or, or close? You know, I don't think you have to get on it, but close, Well, uh, you know, the portal (laughs) Uh, right now is the answer uh, because you have to get players and you have to fill needs and all that. So uh, I I think that, you know, you still need that. You still need the great evaluations. You still need your share of no-brainers from the high school level. But I also think at South Carolina, because upward mobility is so hard, if you make good decisions in the portal, which which I, I think all these guys are, you you can you you can get there faster than if it was the old traditional. Well, we got a red shirt guys, and you know we're gonna take our lumps this year, but in two years we'll be good. I think you get there a lot faster, um, and I think that the reason South Carolina is able to be in a position to do that with these guys and really the guys from the portal they got last year, and you know some of the players that remained that you know people thought may go pro. Uh, I think all that, all of that personnel speaks to culture. Uh, where, where guys don't really want to leave, they're enjoying it, they're having a good time, they're getting better. Uh, people are, you know, players are drawn to the program. And, and you can kind of see some of the uh, the reactions from some of the 2023 high school kids. I mean, Zechariah Owens, the offensive tackle from Eagles Landing in Atlanta, is a high four-star guy. I mean, you know, he's probably, if you're talking about, Offensive tackles, he's probably a guy that uh, is the closest thing to Brandon Shell. He, he may even be a little different than Brandon Schell, uh that the Gamecocks have signed. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, he's going to be as good as Brandon because offensive line is very developmental. Um, Cam Pringle in 2024 from in-state, Josiah Thompson. I mean, you got some tackles coming up. But, look, here's a kid from Georgia uh, at Eagles Landing that Georgia wants, that Alabama wants, and the Gamecocks are on top just because – He's drawn to the program because of the culture. Now, they haven't gotten him yet. He's not the silent welcome home. <laughs> uh, but but I think that's impressive. And you can read comments from guys like Owens from Georgia, or Xavier Hardy from Georgia, or Keith Sampson from North Carolina, or Antonio Tripp from Maryland, uh, some of these out-of-state guys. And uh, you get that sense, you know. If you're the game coach, you're hoping Noah Rogers comes back and you could, you know, for a visit this spring, which he's supposed to, and you could love him up uh, and roll out the red carpet for him. And he's feeling the same way. Marquis Anderson's from Dorman. Carolina, uh, I think Hart Turner uh, was one of the last recruits they got from Dorman. Uh, you know, Michael Belcher was one, Kendrick Lynch. They're all kind of right in there together. But uh, most of those kids go to Clemson, no questions asked. Peak. Uh, they got Jordan McFadden right now It's turned into a really good one. Uh, I think when Clemson offered him, the thought was, well, he'll follow in their footsteps and heck he still might. He still might. But right now he's leaning to South Carolina <laughs> and it's because of the feeling he gets when he comes on campus, you know, and the culture and all that. And you heard that in that press conference yesterday. Uh, and that's my overall point with this is that, you know, when we hear about culture and you're not things aren't necessarily going well, or you're you're mad at the OC or the is taking legitimate criticism, which I believe you know, a lot of that criticism was legit. Uh you know, beamers sitting there trying to remain positive all year and that gets frustrating or whatever, you know, and and you sort of backlash against the word culture. Uh probably because, you know, we don't know, we, it's hard to define, you know, so you're like, well, when, you know, you win, the culture's good, you lose, the culture's bad. I don't know. I don't know. I know a lot of great teams are great programs traditionally where the, the culture is not uh, under certain coaches and those programs end up running into trouble too. And have to make changes. I know of one in Baton Rouge right now uh, that had to make a change. Uh So, you know, I get it. Uh, you know, I get that we look through the prism of wins and losses, and that's fine. But uh, if you're looking for something to kind of reinforce all this talk about culture, and to try to get a greater understanding of, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, how to define it directly, but kind of what it's all about, go listen to that those press conferences. I mean, you'll be you'll, you'll be impressed. I was. I mean, I sat down there and watched them all uh, after they archived them yesterday, and I was like, man, these these guys. They're all business. They're all good people. It seems they know what they're talking about and they were able to quickly define why they came to South Carolina over schools like Texas and North Carolina and from schools like Oklahoma and Georgia quickly defined it. They, they were able to quickly define it. So uh really good press conferences yesterday. I also thought it was interesting. LaVosier Carroll talked about the uniqueness of Luke day and his strength program versus the strength program at Georgia, which is good. I mean, you, I can't argue with what they do with their players down there, right? Uh, but he said, man, it's just a lot different. So, so there you go. That reinforces a lot of things there. Frank Martin, lots of talk about him. The Game guys did win. They're sitting at 18-11 overall, 9-8 and eight in the SEC, as I mentioned earlier. Got a game against Auburn this weekend. All right, folks. So uh, there's, there's been a couple of Martin comments in the media I'd like to address real quick. Uh, and then I want to address some, some fact versus fiction. Okay. Uh, John Rothstein. Uh, well, no, I'll, I'll start with, with Frank Martin and, and the net, right. The net rankings. <laughs> uh, and, and Eric Musselman, uh, the head coach at Arkansas had questions. I, I think they've, they've won 14 of 15 games and their net keeps going down. They went up two yesterday for beating LSU at home. LSU still ahead of them. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that Frank is the only one that has questions about the net, the Gamecocks are 91st. I still think it's that net, the efficiency part of it, which I don't like. And I, I don't care. You know, I don't think there's a plausible argument to be made that that should be used. Um, that's like using total offense uh, to determine who gets in the college football playoff. Uh now I know those guys are kind of the opposite. They're, they're a little more antiquated. It's wins and losses, uh, but you know that 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 should should never happen. All right, you know, and, and and I think that you know people love fantasy sports these days. They love stats. They love advanced analytics, and that's fine. I mean, I know people that love them, and hopefully, I get a refresher course on them here pretty soon, so I could uh, maybe talk about it a little more. But but look, man. I I don't think this should have anything to do with who gets in the NCAA tournament and who doesn't. I I think it's great to use for seeding or tie-breaking or whatever, because you do have historical trends. You know, these teams that are this and this tend to advance this amount of times, but there's always outliers. And that's what sports is for. If we all made things based on the ESPN prediction engine, which is garbage uh sometimes it's accurate but garbage i think sometimes uh you know in terms of, of what actually matters then then why even play the game i mean why you know i, I you ask you tell me and and i think it it you know i, I read where in 2020 they the, the net used to be and i liked it when it first came out the net used to be your quad one through four type of deal um and then you had an adjusted win percentage where you got bonus points for road wins. You got docked for home losses. There was a scoring margin element. They got capped at ten points, uh, and then there was just straight up winning percentage factor. in. Well, they drop winning percentage, adjusting winning percentage, I believe, and margin of victory. So it becomes like your uh, good wins and losses, you know, and, and, and which I think is things the kind of the RPI, and then net efficiency. And I'm like, why, did you, why didn't you? Why did you – you know, all those other things like, okay, you should win at home. Great. Bonus point uh, is not as big for winning at home. Okay, you sh- if you went on the road, that's cool. There's a bonus point for that. You know, neutral side game is a little bit less of a bonus point. Uh, you get docked if you lose at home. I-, I thought that was great because it kept wins and, and – and, and factoring in overall win percentage. It kept wins and losses – at the forefront while also including some of these advanced analytics, which, you know, as long as it's a fifth of it, that's fine. But now it's, I think it's almost half. If I'm reading this correctly, if not, let me know. Uh, Cause it was just kind of, there wasn't even like a news uh, deal on it. It was just like, Oh, here's what we're, here's what we're doing now. <laughs> we're dropping all of this. So, um, in you know, and, and I read it. Maybe, maybe it's just the pandemic here. I I don't think so, because uh, this is this is why we're dealing with teams not being able to go up and down with wins and losses because th- that's taking a back seat or at least equally weighted to how, how do you play? What do you do in, in the Ken Palm and all that? And uh, I I think those are more indicators of style. You know, style is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Uh, efficiency is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but, but if that's going to count that much, you're going to have a lot of coaches are going to be out of a job, you know, because they don't coach that way. And then, then you're going to have a lot of coaches that, you know, are are really good at running that up that that really don't know how to win. So I, I would, I would, you know, the, the RPI needed to probably be tweaked. Uh, just because it was basically who did you beat and who did they beat and, and all that, which is fun, which I thought was kind of fun, but at the same time, when when the committee every year arbitrarily decides top fifty wins mean more top or winning on the road means more, I mean they, they emphasize different parts of it. I think the net as in its original form, uh, and look, they may have gone back to it. maybe I'm just blowing hot air here, but, but that's the last statement I can find about how the net has been adjusted. Um, You know, you you look at it and it's like, well, you took out the parts where winning matters. You know, you just – you have those, you know, quadrant wins and stuff that that you line up and have one score, and then the rest of it's efficiency. So how the hell does that make any sense when it's that much? And now, look, I'll say this – what if the committee's not using it like they use the RPI? I have my doubts because I heard this uh, a few years back. Oh, well, the net's not – they're not taking that into account as much. And it, you, you looked at the bracket, and it was just you know, the top 68 teams in the net or whatever. No, no not really because there's auto bids and stuff. But, yeah, you looked at it, and all of the uh, at-large bids went straight down the list, literally straight down the list, okay, so come on, man. I mean, you know, that's the deal. And, and that's not a South Carolina thing, guys. That's a, uh, cause I, I don't know. I think the Gamecocks will still have an immense amount of work to do to get in the tournament. Even if we were on the R- I think the RPI is 63, <laughs> between 63 and 70. Um, that's striking distance back in the old days, you know, heading into a conference tournament and a game against the top five top 10 team in Auburn. But, uh, yeah, striking distance. But, but, but 91, where the Gamecocks are at now, or maybe 94, I don't. I think it's 91. in uh, the RPI, that wasn't, wasn't striking distance. And the concern, I think, is, you know, despite what people say, and, and Frank Martin said, well, if we beat all where we should be in, I can't agree with him on that. And it's not that I don't want that to be the case, or, or that I don't think he knows what he's talking about, but, but you look at it and, you know, the history shows that they have this thing, the net, and they use it more so than the RPI. And I I think it's very flawed. Uh, And Eric Musselman agrees with me. You know, if you don't like Frank Martin, and you're worried that any kind of defense of anything he says has to do with him coming or going, uh, get that out of your mind because that's that's different. I, I don't look at it through the prism of, you know, everything is about Frank coming or going. I think this particular thing, as a sports fan, as a fan of college, a lover of college basketball, I don't think it's fair. Because uh, I don't think there's – I mean, you know, we, and I've looked, at, I've looked at other teams, too. They don't really move either. So, so how the hell do we have it locked in like this? Is it, and I think it's because of efficiency, because you can't really change that game to game. You change that over the course of time. You know, so we may as well just not even play any damn games. I'm sorry. I just get fired up about this. That's, that's Frank. Number one, Frank. Number two, and this happened before his net comments was I almost quit last year. Didn't feel like he was being treated well. Uh, I get that. Um, and, uh, I think that it's refreshing nowadays for people to say how they feel, especially in public because it's risky. It is risky, you know? Um, and, uh, cause people will hammer you on it and people did hammer Frank I don't. I don't think that uh, there's anything wrong with what he said. Just like I don't think there's anything wrong with him lobbying for this team to get in. Uh, you know, people kind of come down on him about that. No, I don't think so. I mean, that's what every coach in the country should do. He's getting paid to do that. You know, he, he'd be an idiot if he wasn't advocating for his team. I've never seen a lobby effort work with these guys in the NCAA tournament. But yeah, he he should he should be, you know, he, he should be advocating for his team. Uh John Rosteen, I was going to mention earlier, big, big fan of his and how he covers college basketball. Uh, pretty fair guy, I think. CBS Sports Network. He, he tweets after the game the other night, South Carolina's now 18 and eleven, and we'll go to some sort of postseason. Frank Martin's team's overachieving. Um Again, those of you that look through the prism of coming or going, uh, you're going to get mad about that. And I don't think these players uh, deserve that, regardless of your opinion on Frank Martin. I'm going to tell you this right now, folks. The Frank Martin thing is going to take care of itself. I mean, you can sit there and speculate all you want about what Ray Tanner and Chance Miller and and, uh, the new president coming in will and will not do. Uh, but you're probably wrong. <laughs> I'll just tell you that right now. Um, You're probably wrong. Now, am I predicting Frank Martin's out? No. Uh, I think there's a needle, a threading of the needle that could take place with no trip to the NCAA tournament where he could be back. I don't know that that's what I would even call likely, but – you know, I, those of you that just like, ah, they're going to keep him for going to the NIT or whatever. No, 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 no. Eric, and look, I'm not coming down on Eric Hyman here. Uh, but, but Tanner does not really make decisions like Hy- I mean, there's not going to be a press conference where they talk about the war chest of credibility because of the NIT. This program has been through that. And Ray Tanner was at South Carolina when that happened. And he he knows what the fans thought about it he was going to NCAA tournaments. Baseball doesn't have an NIT. But he, he was making the national postseason and coming off trips to Omaha and, and, and all that. And, you know, football is football. At the time, probably they expected just to be in a bowl. But, you know, basketball, he saw all that. And he knew how people reacted. And Alth- Hyman, quite frankly, didn't handle it right. You know, Dave Odom got too long. They, they had to make a bargain basement hire settled on Darren Horn. That didn't work out. And then he went and hired Frank, which you know, I think regardless if he comes or goes, uh it's been a it's been a hire that you can't say was a bad one. You know, he got him the final four. Nobody can take that away. Uh so anyway, back back to the point um of Rothstein, I, I think that when you look at this year's team, you know, number one, you know, these guys at times, you know, look like they've never played basketball before uh, individually, uh, dribble it off their foot, stuff like that. No, no, number two, uh, I don't think you can question that they've been playing very, very hard. Um, they won five out of six. Everybody's like, well, Frank's team's always floundered at the end of the year. Well, it didn't happen this year. They have won five out of their last six which is a great finish uh, considering, you know, two and four, one and three, two and five is usually the norm down the stretch. Um, but they're 18 and 11. You know, I, I think that uh, when you look at it, that's kind of on the high end. One more win, and they've won more than any team since the final four. Uh, I, uh, I think all that can be true, and you can give the players credit, you know, because some of these guys, like all right, I, I, Jermaine Cousinard, I, I gave this example on the message board today. He's from Chicago, um, his mom's sick. You know, you don't think DePaul would have loved to have had Jermaine Cousinard or UIC or Loyola or uh, Northwestern or Notre Dame or Northern Illinois, and name your school within driving distance, uh, a close distance from home, from Chicago. Um. Name it. Western Michigan's right up the road. I mean, name it. They would have loved to have all had Jermaine Cousinard, yet he came back to South Carolina to play in front of a bunch of, most of the time, empty seats and mad fans. Um, and he's busting his butt. You know, same with Keyshawn Bryant, same with Eric Stevenson. James Reese came home. He could have – North Texas is going to the tournament, I think. He could have stayed out there and played. You know, and and regardless of your opinion about Frank, I mean, Devin Carter, you know, that guy, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, he doesn't leave the program. But if he does, he's going to have a ton of options. He's good. So, you know, I I don't think it's fair to sit there and diminish what this team has done as a team and, and for the players. For the players. And Frank has done a good job coaching this year. Uh, and on that note, the Coastal Carolina loss, uh, I think every person involved should be mad about it. Uh, no offense to Coastal. Uh, my mom went to school there. Uh, I've got family uh, ties to Coastal. I pull for them. I, you know, Cliff Ellis is a, is a heck of a coach. Uh, I didn't mind South Carolina scheduling the game at Coastal either. But South Carolina in men's basketball or football or whatever, unless it's just like a rare, rare deal. They have no business losing the Coastal that bad. And they didn't show, you know, second half of that game, after being down one, Carolina just did not show up. So I think from that standpoint, be mad. But, but I'm going to let you in on something here. The Princeton loss and the Coastal loss, uh, as tough as it is to swallow, you, you reverse the outcomes of those games. South Carolina still not in the NCAA tournament right now. Their net still isn't that high. You know, I think they, they I don't even know if it had been a Q2 win at Coastal. I think, I think close to Q2 with Princeton. Those are not wins that would have made a difference. Now, look, I understand the angst and consternation about it because uh, last time we had sort of a full season and not the COVID year, but in 2020 when they canceled it, uh, I pulled the plug at the end. That team, without a doubt, you know, they would have been on the right side of the bubble. Like, you look you look at it, like, four games I have circled. And, uh, you know, Northern Iowa, uh, I think in a consolation game after they got whipped by Wichita down in uh, – where was it, Cancun or wherever. Uh, Northern Iowa beats them by two. That would have been a top 40 RPI win, a Q1 win. Uh, that could have gone either way. Carolina – had some lapses on defense, one well, you know, two point loss, uh, but then the inexcusable starts to happen. Boston University was was no there was no excuse for that. Uh, they rally, they they go on the road, beat Virginia and Clemson, and and that's season saving. And You turn around, and lose to Stetson. Okay, so those those losses in the non conference, those three in particular are, are costly. The the uh, Houston game, eh, whatever Houston's really good. That kind of thing. It doesn't matter. But the those losses were very, very costly. So you rally, you get 10 and 7 in the league, and you're coming down a stretch, right? And you play one of the a very bad Vanderbilt team in Nashville, the last regular season game. Two years ago, Saturday. And you get waxed <laughs> against a very bad Vanderbilt team. Okay. Those four losses knock them out. You you, you reverse those four. Carolina's twenty-two and nine, and eleven and seven in the league, and uh, they're not. uh, They're they're probably on the right side of the bubble. You know, maybe needing to win one to avoid Dayton, but they're right there. Uh, So that year, costly losses were were, were bad. Okay, there's no question. Twenty eighteen, that team that amazingly went to the went went eleven and seven and finished fourth in the league. Uh, after everything, um, yeah, okay. L- 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 let's look at what they did. lost to Stony Brook at home. That that was bad. Okay, we'll cut, we'll chalk that up. They did lose to a good Wofford team by twenty. That was not good. The loss to Wyoming, which is one of the worst teams in basketball that year, was not good. Okay, Clemson. They did not really compete in that one. Lost by ten at home, uh, and then that cost them. You know, and 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 I but. It, at the same time, I don't know that anybody was expecting that team to do much. But, it, yeah, it's frustrating. So those years, uh, and even the year after the Final Four, the loss to Illinois State out of the beach, you know, th- those years were bad losses. Um, no question, no, no doubt about it. And those were costly. You know, the loss to Northern Illinois at the beach probably cost them the NIT that year. But this year's loss to Coastal outside of just being – you know of, of pride and 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 embarrassing losses, and that was an embarrassment. that's not costing the gamecocks anything. you know so to get that out of your head. <laughs> uh, I say all that, not in a blistering defense of Frank Martin to say this: you know, this program, as I've said before, is stuck. It's like, bump, bump well, it's like when a record skips over and over. You know, most seasons have kind of gone, you know, in result wise. You now they've gotten there; they've arrived there in different ways. As I said, this year's team's five and one. Uh, this year's team's issue getting into the tournament is uh, quality wins. It's not the loss to Coastal and the loss to Princeton, like like other people want. Some people want that. let get that out of your head. It's quality wins. Uh, there is a there's a top six in this league. There is a middle part. Where Carolina is, uh, and then there's the lower end. So, so you got the top six. Then you got Florida, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A and M, and then you got you know Missouri, Georgia, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's probably right down. You know, maybe with A and and South Carolina just hasn't done well enough against the top top groups. And if you want to know a loss that was disappointing, it was the home the, the home game against Florida. Cause that, that Florida team can jump up and bite you as Auburn found out nice win at Mandy, you know, for them, but they were, they came in the league in the game. zero and three in the league. I mean, and, and just defended the crap out of Carolina just couldn't, I mean, that, that Carolina could have been more competitive than that one. Yeah. You want to look at a loss that's costing them, right? That's it. You know, not coastal, Um. But still, you know, you had Arkansas down on the road, uh, the Alabama game the other night, you know, what would have happened maybe if you didn't defend a little better in the first half and then going on a run in the second half. And instead of, you know, having to do all that to get down six, you did all that and got up 10. Maybe Bama starts pressing, whatever, you know, Tennessee not showing up in the second half. Those are the costly things with this team. So, I say all that to say this, this the program is right now stuck and, you know, maybe they get unstuck here in the next, you know, week or so. Um, Maybe, you know, Frank Martin's never been to Saturday at the SEC tournament ever. Maybe this is the year he gets there. He gets all the way to Sunday like Odom did. Uh, I think that would be enough with this team given their conference record and all. But, you know, as it stands now and as it looks to be at the end of the year, it's the same season. It just may end up with an NIT bid this time, which probably would have been the case two years ago. And so you have, you ask yourself, well, JC, you know, gosh, and and these are the people that are on the other side of it, you know, what, uh, you know, they're better than the historical average. And that's true too, but To get, when you're stuck, you have to get unstuck one way or the other. That may not work out, but you have to take that chance, you know. Now, can you get unstuck by the NIT, getting G.G. Jackson? I don't know, but that's my rant there. All right, that is all the time we have for today. I didn't want to mention iHelp Consulting because we will have the iHelp Consulting mailbag. I'll answer all your questions tomorrow uh, very quickly. Uh, Daniel Owens. Uh, consultation for business. He can save your business money, save somebody uh, a bunch, 48000 the other day. That's uh, that's not too bad, uh, obviously. And uh, he's going to get it out, put it in a spreadsheet. Uh, and if he can't save you any money on credit card processing, internet, whatever, um, you don't owe him a thing. His number is 843-372-5713, iHelpConsulting.com. iHelp Consulting, how can I help you? Shout out to Daniel. iHelp Consulting mailbag will be Tomorrow we'll have an episode bright and early previewing the Clemson baseball series, but I wanted to get those things in today. J.C. Sherbert signing off inside the Gamecocks podcast. Talk to you tomorrow, folks.